When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. So you might have heard tell that there's been quite a bit in the news about Portland, Oregon over the last few years. In fact, the viral images and the videos and the news headlines from certain parts make it look really, really bad. Lots of violence, fires, fighting with police, injuries, even a few deaths. All this is very disconcerting, but what's the actual story of what's going on? In fact, Portland has such a long and varied history of protesting, it's hard to tell when this current cycle of violent protests actually even started. But is everything we're seeing accurate? Is the story we're being shown on the news and in viral video clips the whole story? Well, it doesn't seem like it because certain factions on the right are telling us that there's absolutely an out-of-control city and it's a burning, smoldering ruin and nothing's ever done with the protesters. Well, that's not true because just last week, a man was convicted of first-degree arson for setting a dumpster fire. Not the internet meme or the running joke of something being a disaster, an actual literal dumpster fire which he pushed up against the plywooded windows of the DA's office. He's now going to prison. It's also not true that the police are completely out of control and doing whatever they want just this last week. A grand jury indicted a member of Portland's rapid response team. That's the crowd control unit. The rapid response team responded by all of them resigning from their voluntary positions on that crowd control team. So what's actually going on here? Well, Maybe this is an incident of national media and social media not doing a great job of getting to some of the core reasons of what's going on in Portland to give the rest of us proper information. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk to two people who actually live in Portland. They're very good friends of ours. Uh, Bert Lyko is a lawyer. He actually works downtown Portland. He was very close to the area where a lot of those viral videos were filmed during the worst of the protests turned riots. Todd Kelly is a longtime Portland resident and a longtime friend of ours and a writer for places like Mary Claire International and Daily Beast. He also produces shows in Portland and is tapped into the culture and arts scene. We're going to ask both of these friends of ours from their perspective on the ground, from having been there during most of what we've seen, what's going on, and their perspective on why it's happening and the responses of what's happening and how the reality differs from the videos and images that we're seeing, I hope will be enlightening. One thing you always want to do is you don't ever want to paint a broad brush. So for the people portraying Portland, Oregon as just this burning hole in the ground where nothing's going on but violence, that's not completely true. But there are very real problems here, and the real problems that are involved are being drowned out by people's misperceptions and, frankly, people using it as their own personal narratives. So we're going to turn down the noise on the Portland protests and riots, everything you've seen and heard about what's going on in Portland, and we're going to give you good information from two people that actually know what they're talking about that are on the ground there. And I think it might surprise you and change your mind a little bit, not only about Portland itself, 
but how media and social media are reacting to stories in our day and age. Bert Lyko, Todd Kelly, coming up next, right after this on Hertel. I'm really, really thrilled and happy. Two guys I admire a lot. Two guys um, I kind of consider mentors as I've learned how to write and do other things. Bert Lyko, Todd Kelly, they're both Portland natives now. Uh, gentlemen, how are you? And Thank you so much for taking the time for us. Uh, doing great. Doing great. Glad to be here. Excited to be here. That's Todd Kelly for those listening from home. And now this is Bert Lyko. How are you, sir? I am doing great, sitting here in my office in downtown Portland, looking at a couple of volcanoes out my window. Now, just to be clear, because we are going to be talking about Portland from people that actually live in Portland, which is different than people like me who's on the East Coast in North Carolina and West Virginia splitting my time. Is that volcano an actual volcano or is it activity in the street volcano? Uh, no, <laughs> these are actual volcanoes. That's uh, Mount right. St. Helens. And, uh, and over her shoulder, I can, uh, in the distance, make out Mount Rainier. Oh, good deal, because what we get told too much in media over the last, let's see, probably, let's, what, it's been about two and a half years now, is that Portland is just this smoldering hole in the ground, and you're calling from a bunker, and you're bouncing it off a Russian satellite to get the signal out, because there's <laughs> nothing in downtown Portland but violence. You work, what, like a block or two from the federal building where a lot of the viral videos came out during the nightly protests, something like that. Is it really that bad or what's going on here? Because this is confusing. Well, I've actually moved my office in the past uh, six months or so. Uh, got a better deal to a place maybe uh, maybe five blocks down. Uh, the different warring factions ignore this block, so I'm usually able to dodge all of the bullets and the tear gas and, uh, and make my way safely undercover to the underground garage, and then I can get some work done. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of joking about it, but uh, Todd Kelly, you've been there for a long, long time. When he says ignore a block, is it that literal? Like, I know it's organized because it starts about the same time every night. Is it really like, hey, it's going to be this block tonight or this building tonight? Is that is that really how this kind of goes down? Um, I, I don't. I don't know how organized it is. If you've if you've never been to Portland, um, we have a downtown area, which was largely, other than sort of like nine to five white collar businesses, has been relatively quiet for the past decade and a half. And most of the things that you see on television are in about a three or four four block radius, um, which are sort of this area of Portland where everything is sort of concrete. Uh, brutalism structures um, and sort of the assumption is is that the reason why the city has sort of let people uh, do whatever their cosplay has been sort of during the pandemic has been that it's essentially been sort of a giant playpen there's only so much damage uh, that they can do in this area and whether or not it's a good decision I think the police have decided that sort of rather than going in um, and busting too many heads um, to sort of let the various factions do their thing every night and then go home. Um, but most, but I will say this, like most people who are in Portland um, go through, have gone through this entire two and a half years and have not seen a moment of any of these things happening like it, it's very confined into an area especially during the pandemic where nobody goes 
Right. Let or, me let me echo that yeah, if I may. Uh, your um, your your listeners can go to Google Maps or whatever other mapping software they do, and look up Chapman Square, Portland, Oregon, and they will get a block by block map that zooms in pretty close, and you will see that the area where all of these protests have happened is um, three blocks. Uh, not particularly large city blocks as these things go, uh, right in the Civic Center. They're all right next to one another. Uh, it looks like three public parks. It's really kind of one extended park with some roads going through them in front of the courthouse, the police department, uh, the other courthouse, and city hall. That's where it all happens, and that is it. Uh, like Todd said, uh, there's 98%, I would say, of, of Portlanders haven't seen a moment of violence because... Very few Portlanders go to this three-block area of town at night. Now, Bert, you've been there a lot. You've been there a little shorter than Todd. But before we delve into the specifics of this, Portland actually has a pretty unique history when it comes to things like protesting. This is something that's viewed maybe a little differently inside of Portland than you know other parts of the country that maybe doesn't have the history. Uh, Todd, you've probably been there longer, but Bert, you've been there too. Portland does have kind of almost a, a, I don't know if a civic pride, because obviously they don't like the violent part of it, but protests are seen a certain way inside of the culture of Portland, aren't they? I would would agree with that. I don't know that I would argue that that is why what is happening in Portland right now is what's happening in Portland right now. Um, Although it probably does have something to do with why the city has been um, reluctant to come in too hard and heavy to try and put a stop to it. Is it is it a fear of, obviously, and you guys love your city, uh, Bert, you wrote piece after piece for us when you were going through the process of deciding to move to Portland, how you kind of fell in love with the city as a process. You guys love your city. You take pride in your city. You obviously don't like the optics, but there's been a decision made, for better or worse, that however bad these optics are, police cracking heads in the street or maybe worse types of violence elevating above that would be an even worse optic and a worse outcome. Isn't that kind of where we're at on a lot of this? Well, in terms of the protesters, that decision got made in 1972. That okay, was, why 1972? Uh, uh, that is when a, um, a case was decided by the Oregon Supreme Court called State versus Robertson. I'm sorry, 1982, not 1972, 1982. Okay. And that interpreted uh, Oregon's constitution and its free speech clause to say that unless there was a recognized exception to free speech in the federal constitution in 1859, then it is permitted speech under the Oregon constitution. Uh, That's one of the reasons why uh, Portland has so many strip clubs and is nationally famous for... Uh, that variety of entertainment. And that is the reason why the city largely has its hands tied about um, about restricting protester access to public areas. Uh, this is a very expansive definition of free speech, so the city legally has to do a lot to accommodate people who are going to come here and engage in acts of public expression. It can certainly regulate uh, and try and prevent violence, but you can't preemptively stop people from showing up because you suspect that violence will result. And I assume some so, of the organizers of these protests, they're very, very aware of that, are they not? And that's probably part of what we're seeing is 
they know they have more room to operate in Portland than maybe some other places. I'm not talking everybody, but the maybe the more bad faith actors or the more organized folks. Would that be the case then? I, I strongly suspect so. You'd have to ask them, and I doubt they'd right. give you an honest answer. I but suppose yes, not. When, when you come here, yeah. you're going to get a lot more leeway from the government simply because that's been the law of this state for uh, nearly as long as I've been alive. Right. Well, to ask right. the... To ask the Philistine question then, Todd, because you're you're a journalist, a writer. I'm sure you look at this. How should this be covered? Because that's the first time I've ever heard, and I follow this stuff pretty decently closely for an amateur. That's the first time I've ever heard it. No, they're legally bound by this Oregon-specific law on what they can and can't do. How would you think they should be covering this? Because the way it's covered now is nationally it's either they try to shove it into an ongoing national narrative— of right. other places, or it's getting used as a bloody shirt by uh, far-right people of the cities are out of control and there's not a whole lot of middle. I know the answer, but just why is it not covered that way of like, hey, they can't do anything because of this, 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 and this? Um, the reason that it's not covered that way is essentially uh, one of finance. Um, if... It, it, yeah, I'm gonna true. I'm gonna go a slightly far afield, but I promise I, I'll come quickly back. Um, sure. Sort of what you're seeing in Portland right now is an uh, amalgamation of a number of different things that are building uh, for years. There, because uh, sort of when you talk about uh, the issues that we're going through with uh, violence, there there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, there's race. Um, there are some economic things. There are people being pushed out of the city. Uh, due to gentrification, there's the homeless issue. Um, there is uh, issue of mental health where budget hawks a couple of decades ago um, decided that the way to deal with people who are having mental health problems was uh, to put them out on the street. Um, so there are a number of things that are all sort of accumulating into these uh, moments, and each of them requires a lot of difficult analysis um, and a lot of time. And if you are Fox News, but also like if you're CNN um, or MSNBC, you don't, I mean, it is not worth your time and money to invest that, to view any one of, to dive into any single one of those, let alone all of them. Um, But... Portland does occasionally have people yelling at police who have masks on and the occasional fire set, um, and that is great television. The optics of it is overrunning the story. You've been a journalist a long time. You know how that works from the business end of it. The You, you both understand the optics of that are horrible when it just becomes a 15- or 30-second news bite to the rest of the country, and they're like, oh, my God, why is downtown on fire? Right, right. Um, and I, it, there's an interesting disconnect, actually, because most people in Portland don't think about it. Um, it like, you're from West Virginia. I, get, I would bet the people who live around you uh, think about what's happening in downtown Portland in that three-block stretch more than my neighbors do. Probably. Um, I think for us, it's pretty out of sight, out of mind. In a way, it isn't for the rest of the country. Do you think the local view is that omission or commission? Are they just putting it out of their mind because they don't want to deal with it? Or is it just that's a coping I, thing? Or is it just a lot of them don't even realize it because they're, it's a, you know, it's a spread out kind of city. Like a lot, you know, there's suburbs and everything else. Right. It's like you said, this is an area where, you know, 
not a lot of stuff's going on unless you're going there for a specific reason? Is it just out of mind completely and they just don't even realize it's going on unless they're watching it on Fox News or CNN like everybody else? I, th- I think for the most part, um, there's a certain apathy. I, I maintain that things never would have happened, uh, have unfolded the way they have in the past 15 months um, had we not been largely shut down for a pa- uh, pandemic. I don't. You know, I think it has zero effect on people. It doesn't seem to, for the most part, have an effect on the area where protests are being uh, had. There, I mean, there are some. There are. There is a lot of property damage. There has been some some tragic, you know, injuries um, and uh, some deaths. But but for the most part, it's sort of. Um, I don't know how to describe. It. It's. It doesn't seem to be happening in the Portland that everybody who lives here is living in. And so I think it's easy for people um, to ignore it. Mm-hmm. And I think probably if it's, if you're from, if you're from West Virginia or if you're from South Carolina, if you're from Montana, it's easy for you to look at what's going on in Portland right now and think, oh, it's just leftist or proud boys and all that's like, if you just had the backbone to go in there and tell them not to do it, everything would be uh, right as rain. And I think most people in Portland who at least follow things enough uh, that they would be interested in sort of new stuff are aware that there's a very huge pile of problems that have to be addressed that feel insurmountable. Um, and, the very, and you could argue that the very fact that these problems exist right now in such a big mountain is um, that we've gotten really good at ignoring them and pretending they don't exist. And so why stop now? Um, and either one of you can take this. Is the we, we understand Portland is a more progressive city. I've, I've kind of quit using the terms liberal and conservative because they just don't mean anything anymore. When you know, But it's a very progressive city, a very liberal city if you want. Has that in become almost? But is that be? Oh, that's my question. Has it become a Portlandia kind of caricature almost, where it's almost over the top now? Of oh, everybody's just you know complete left wing wackadoo, and that's not really the case because there's even in a leftward city, there's still a spectrum of political beliefs and stuff. Has it become almost a caricature, and then they put it with the protesting stuff, and they start melding it all together? What's it really like there in Portland? Do you see that? What What's it like on the ground for you guys? Well, let me let me answer from my perspective as a, a relative newcomer. I've lived here for about three years now. Um, most of the people that I speak with and interact with, my neighbors in my uh, sort of quasi suburban neighborhood, are, um, are are folks roughly my age, maybe thirty to sixty. They're pretty mainstream Democrats. They are probably left of center for the United States, but not particularly far left of center. Uh, But what we see here, and I think you will see specimens of this all over the country, is that um, the louder, more extreme elements are are just that. They're louder and more extreme, so they tend to become more newsworthy. They tend to attract the eye and the ear in a way that people who have relatively mainstream opinions do not. We know what a standard, ordinary Democrat thinks about things. We know what a standard, ordinary, mainstream Republican thinks about things. The ones who are willing to articulate more extreme points of view and say more outrageous things, these are the ones that make it on TV. These are the ones who get quoted. 
right. that can create the illusion that uh, those sorts of um, those sorts of opinions are dominant. That those are the sorts of people who are uh, running the debate. And I think that is particularly true here, where we have enhanced freedom of speech, where we have a cultural tradition of people articulating uh, sometimes uh, non-standard points of view. Uh, I hear Fox News complain about anarchists in Portland and how they're how they're destroying the city. Well, there are anarchists in Portland. In fact, there are probably anarchists in your state too. They're just a little bit more quiet about it than they are here, because here is a place where people ha have a little bit more license, both culturally and legally, to articulate uh, whatever happens to be on their mind. And and Todd, because you you do things like you know you produce your show, things like that. Maybe maybe you can speak to when when you have kind of an arts centered community, which Portland has a very well deserved reputation for. Uh, those a lot. There's a lot of overlap in those people that are kind of like that, and then the political views. And people will maybe put a stereotype on them, but that's not really the case, is it? Because a lot of those people are also they're like everybody else. Some of them are very politically apathetic, even though they may have really strong cultural views on things. Um, talk talk about the the actual culture that you see, you know, doing your shows and just having lived in Portland of the people. Uh, what they see compared to the stereotype we're getting on the national news right now. So I, I think the the thing, sort of the first way that I would address that, um, uh, and this is this does not make me proud. We we have a reputation of sort of being this ultra liberal, ultra progressive um, city, and in a ton of ways we are. Um, environmentally, uh, LGBTQ stuff. Um, uh, just in a lot of ways we are, one way in which we are not is racially. Um, and I don't think that it's any coincidence that the thing that finally sparked everything um, were uh, protests about race. We, Portland, for like all the progressive patting itself on the back that it does, it's still... It's not just an incredibly uh, white dominant city just by numbers. Like it's incredibly segregated. Um, the city has a history of um, forcing people who aren't white into poor neighborhoods. And then sort of once uh, we decide that we can make those neighborhoods into something economically uh, bountiful, of doing our best to push them out of the neighborhoods we push them into. Um, like, we do not, we historically have not done race well in Portland, or for that matter, in Oregon. Um, and I think that right now, part of the reason that uh, you are seeing, you, the protests are a mix of a whole bunch of things, but there are some real, honest, legitimate concerns about race stuff that are going on right now um, where I, uh, there is a chunk of the population. It's a small uh, percentage of the entire population, but a pretty large chunk of the non-white population that has some legitimate angers um, about things that ha they feel, I think, correctly. The city continues to refuse to address. So I got curious and I looked. So the racial makeup for Portland is 77% white, uh, give right. or take, rounded off a little bit. 
Uh, for comparison, Fayetteville, North Carolina, where I keep a home, it's the racial split is 44-42-10. So you don't right. wouldn't think of a smaller city like that, and you think of Portland being a very progressive city, but to speaking to your what, you can easily see just, just looking at the demographics that, yeah, I can see where this is going to be a problem. Yeah, and... Um... And I don't know if I don't know what it's like uh, in in your city, but the thing that I always think about when I think about Portland and race is when my uh, son was in high school and he played sports, um, and we travel around the city to like different schools, um, and you do these play they play these different schools, and it would be all white parents, all white kids, all white parents, all white kids, all white parents, right. and then there'd be like. Here's a school, and nobody on the team, and none of the parents are white, um, and not in, and and you know, in neighborhoods that are perhaps more economically disadvantaged than others, and like I don't think that happens by accident, um, and so yeah, it's we we like to think of ourselves as progressive, and in a lot of ways we are, but in this particular areas, we're just not. And historically, have not been. Um, I have. No. I'm. I'm. I'm a member of um, uh, some some professional groups, and we just had a class a couple weeks ago, uh, where we learned about the history of redlining and the very very durable effects of economic redlining, which is the way that the way that these families, people of color, have been herded out of most of the neighborhoods in Portland and concentrated into just a few. And even now, they're being forced out of some of those neighborhoods because those neighborhoods are gentrifying. There, there was an old yeah. joke I remember as a kid, Eddie Murphy joked, that it, whatever city you're in, if you're on Martin Luther King Boulevard, you want to get out of that neighborhood. Uh, that is not true in Portland. Martin Luther King Boulevard is gentrifying and turning into a very desirable strip of the city to live in to set up uh your 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 funky shops and do all of the cool portlandia things on right. uh, and the one of the effects of that is the african-american families that have lived there for generations are being squeezed out they can't afford the rent anymore because it is becoming so desirable a place to live so put your put your lawyer hat on for a second bert um mm -hmm. when we're looking at things like the protests um you talk about things like uh, they have a lot of legitimate issues. Let's assume, let's give the protesters a benefit of the doubt here. They got some legitimate issues. With your lawyer hat on, just explain to folks because all they see is the worst of the images, like we covered. Legally speaking, where's that line in Portland? Now, we know we have expanded uh, free speech rights, but obviously, when the violence comes in, these sorts of things, legally in Portland, where's that line? So when people are seeing these images, they go, okay, that's where it's too far. And that's where decisions are being made. Just as a legally speaking, where where's the line between protesting and breaking the law for Portland? Uh, that is going to be largely the same as the Brandenburg standard. I know okay. a couple of weeks ago on this program, you had uh, had uh, my colleague and our mutual friend M. Carpenter on, and she spoke yes. a little bit about the Brandenburg standard. Uh, speech that incites imminent lawless activity, and imminent means immediate, right now, as, as sort of an instantaneous reaction right. to the speech. Uh, that is where the line gets drawn. So where do you do that? How do you define that in practice? Obviously, you've got to look at the speech when it's going on in context. 
So uh, let's say you have a member of Rose City Antifa sitting around a bar with his friends, and he says words like, all cops are bad. Uh, that's not going to be... That, that's going to be protected speech anywhere in the country. It is probably the case that the line uh, extends in that protester's favor when he's out there in Chapman Square and he's got a bunch of his buddies behind him and he raises his fists and, and tries to rally the guys behind him to join him in a chant, all cops are bad, all cops are bad, and does that right in front of a line of cops in riot gear staring at him. He's probably going to get the benefit of the doubt there. When he says all cops are bad, raises his fist, and starts running at one of the cops, you've probably crossed the line there. That's probably, I mean, I say probably because a judge would have to make a formal ruling and look at more context than that. Mm -hmm. But charging at the cop, taking some physical activity in conjunction with the speech that is reasonably interpreted as aggressive, uh, that sounds like he's encouraging all of his friends who were just chanting with him to physically attack those police officers. That's where I think he crosses the line. And now he's no longer engaged in political speech. Now he's doing something that sounds like it's inciting violence. Todd, that's the legal definition, but you've been a journalist and a writer. You're an observer of humanity. One of the reasons I value your opinion on things. If this is a cultural problem, uh, even more than maybe a policy problem, where we're talking about you know generations of racial issues and generations of gentrification, what would you see as being kind of the cultural fix to the cultural problem? What do you think needs to change to kind of get the temperature down on this, or at least maybe some hope you could start giving those culturally and some things that could change on that account? Um, I mean, the first thing we have to do I would say as a city is we have to uh, figure out a way to integrate the city uh, more successfully than, than we've done. Um, Physically, economically, all of it? What, what do you mean just by integrate? Um, I sort of mean all of it. Um, I would, the very first line you have to do is culturally, like this is, this is a story as an anecdote is a couple of decades old, but I think it, it, uh, it's the best it's the best way to illustrate sort of what I'm talking about culturally in Portland. A couple of decades ago, there was a black bar owner who was sort of seen in the African-American community as sort of being a leader. And one night, the Portland police uh, went around and got a bunch of possum roadkills and left, it, left them on his doorstep to sort of, not in secret, but just sort of to communicate to him that his business was not welcome. Um, they were caught, uh, the officers were suspended, and there was huge protests in the city, outcry. Um, but the outcries were not that the police had done this. Uh, the outcry was that they had been punished um, and they were reinstated. Mm -hmm. So somewhere along the line, we need to figure out a way, and I'm, by we, I'm now sort of talking about those of us in Portland who are the 77% white, we have to figure out a way to communicate to people who aren't white uh, that they are welcome and that they matter. Uh, until we can do that, and I still don't think we're particularly good at it, then I don't see how anything happens. And I get that, that, that what I'm talking about is sort of very woo, um, 
feel-good stuff. But I think that has to happen first. And after that, I think we need to figure out how do we get more African-Americans engaged in economically in the city and how, we, how do we find a way for them to physically integrate their homes and businesses with everybody else in a way that doesn't freak white Portland out. Bert, just so we can put a kind of a, a positive spin on this, though, but you wrote about why you wanted you decided to move to Portland. You actually went through a search of places to move. So to, to paint the city in a more positive light, because it's been a little bit of a heavy topic, talk about some of those things that attracted you to the city as a newcomer that made you, you know, frankly, fall in love with it, make your home there. And you've been very, very happy there for the last couple of years. I think Probably the top thing that attracted me to Portland was the performing arts scene, uh, which ranges from uh, guys playing rock and roll didgeridoo out in front of the Saturday market uh, all the way up to the, uh, uh, to the Oregon Symphony. Uh, Todd's spoken word shows were one of the things that made me fall in love with the city. It was not something that I had encountered in many other places. Uh, people getting up on stage and telling stories and, and making them uh, entertaining and dramatic and everyone relaxing and having a good time. Uh, the live music scene, uh, the, the uh, local drama scene. There is a, a very thriving culture of, uh, of, of plays and other kinds of performance art available or at least there was before the pandemic, and everyone is fully expecting right, right, that right. this is going to return as, uh, as things open up again. The food culture in Portland is world-class, uh, not just national class, but world-class. Portland is properly considered a food destination for people from around the globe, and uh, you know, not for nothing is Top Chef doing its most recent uh, series of shows based here in Portland. The tremendous number of public parks that are around the city, and they are very well maintained, and uh, and for the most part, they are very, very safe. A lot of people don't go to public parks in their own cities because they don't feel safe in them. Um, I feel perfectly safe and happy in almost every public park that I've been in. And and they look good, and they're full of these beautiful dug fir trees and well-maintained grass, and people are out playing with their dogs off-leash all the time. And uh, there are there's modern updated playground equipment for the kids to play on. Uh, the thriving public transportation network. Now, I did not have to drive my car to come downtown today. I was able to take a, a very convenient uh, public transit system. Uh, it's affordable and gets me around town almost as quickly as if I were to drive. And, um, you know, it doesn't reach everywhere in the city. Not everything is perfect about it. But you can get where you want to go, uh, and, and you don't even need a car to get here. There's a thriving alternative transportation scene as well. Lots and lots of people ride their bikes to work, and there are greenways built in the city and lots of dedicated bike paths. When you get your Oregon driver's license, you need to pay special attention to the rules about sharing the road with bikes, and we care very much about people doing this, both from a greenness perspective, a health perspective, uh, easing traffic. Uh, the benefits of doing this are tremendous. And, of course, it's beautiful here. This is... Uh, and particularly now, as we're moving into summer, I think it's paradise. Uh, green trees everywhere. Uh, open flowing water everywhere. Having moved here from the California deserts, that really is paradise to me. Uh, I love getting up into the hills and, uh, and into the mountains and hiking and seeing the tall dug fir forests and looking up and seeing you know, one of the hundreds of waterfalls that are destinations for 
for the various hiking trails around. I love getting out and uh, and drinking the craft beer and all of the wine and the and, and, and the craft the spirits that are made around the come. city. There's no way you weren't yeah. going to talk about the beer. I just knew it was coming. <laughs> well, I was saving the best for last. Well, uh, pound, the... pound for pound, we have got we have got so many good craft breweries. Oh, I think it's an goes. even denser craft brewery population than North County, San Diego, which is uh, also a beer heaven. Well, I'm surprised you don't have a beer podcast at this point. Everybody else got one. Uh, Todd, real quick, what what would you like to bullet point someone of what Portland is, especially somebody that maybe only knows it from all the bad news we've been seeing in the in the the viral videos stuff? How hey, this is what we're really about. We know about the art scene, we know about the food, but this this is home to you. Uh, how would you pitch it to them? I the way I would pitch it to them, um, and I should be very clear, like I'm. I can be Portland's worst critic, but the things that I talked about today, um, it's not like those are Portland-specific issues in this country. Sure. Um, those are You find those issues no matter where you go. The thing, I would certainly echo everything that Bert just said, um, but I think the thing that I love the most about Portland are a combination of the fact that everybody is just so friendly when you walk or, like everybody talks to you um, and smiles at you and has something nice to say. Um, but I think more than that is Portland is the only city that I have ever been to where you have all the culture, all the food, um, forests, mountains, like all the things that you can do in w some of the major metropolises in this country, but you can get to any of them in about 20 minutes. I think LA has a great food scene, but it might take you an hour and a half to get to the restaurant you really want to oh, go yeah. to. Um, and uh, I think Portland has that perfect combination of being able to if there if there's a thing you want to do or experience, you can find it here, and it's all kind of within easy reaching distance. Yeah, I don't think people realize something like L.A. We we used to joke when I lived in Vegas. It's like you can get from Vegas to L.A. faster than you can get from L.A. to the beach. Um, yeah, um, they don't realize how spread out. And then I I don't think Portland quite qualifies as a walkable city. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but it is a lot more kind of livable type city from what you and our other friends that live out there have told us. It's maybe not walkable, but it's definitely a, a standard of living kind of thing. Right? Yeah. And, and, and not walkable from like one end of the city to the other, Correct. unless you've got a lot of time. Um, but the most areas in the city have been planned so that you can walk to all the stuff you might, uh, to restaurants, bars, stores, shopping, whatever. Um, most places, if you live in Portland, you have a, a smaller community of all of those things that you can walk to. Affirmed. I am able to uh, walk to my grocery store. I am able to walk to uh, several good restaurants just a few blocks from my house. I am able to, um, to, to walk to most of the things I need in my day-to-day -day life, um, except I've chosen to put my office downtown, so that's... That, that would be a longer walk. Well, it, I hope that talking a little bit, we can kind of maybe folks will put down the bloody shirt of Oregon and get on social media and actually talk to people from Portland instead of just hollering about it. 
so I appreciate both of y'all taking the time. Uh, Bert Lyko, Todd Kelly, they're both on Twitter, at Bert Lyko and at R. Todd Kelly. Gentlemen, the only thing that can make this better is if we get to do it in person someday, and I look forward to doing that now that we can all travel a little bit. Yeah, me too. Well, we would, we'd love to have you out here and show you around town. I look forward to it. All right. Uh, Bert Lyko and Todd Kelly, appreciate you, gentlemen. There is no logic that can be superimposed on the city, wrote Jane Jacobs. The people make it, and it is to them, not buildings, that we must fit our plans. Talking to Bert and Todd, it's very apparent that the problems with Portland are like the problems with anywhere. They're people problems. And just looking at them in an abstract from a violent video or a protest or something like this is not going to ever give you the entire whole story. There's years and years and years of backlogged feelings and emotions and histories that build up to things like this. And then there's a bad element of just bad faith actors that are, like Todd said, cosplaying some kind of anarchist fantasy in the streets. It looks really bad. It is bad. We should never condone violence or property damage or destruction. We shouldn't condone, but it's more complicated than all that. What about a city like Portland that has world-class many things, but also has a real issue in its history and how it treats its own people and how its people respond? How do you fix that? Well, there's no easy answer for that. There's no one podcast or a tweet or even a book that's probably going to give you an answer to that. But what those answers don't start with is perpetuating stereotypes and misinformation on what's actually going on. Yes, we condemn violence, no matter who's doing the violence or who they're doing it to. But in condemning it, we also need to understand why it's happening to try to prevent it from happening again. One more Jane Jacobs quote from The Death and Life of Great American Cities to wrap this up. Quote, There is a quality even meaner than outright ugliness or disorder, and this meaner quality is the dishonest mask of pretend order achieved by ignoring or suppressing the real order that is struggling to exist and to be served, end quote. The answers to our cities are not going to be found in talking heads that make national narratives or opiners on the internet who use them to fit into whatever they're pitching of the issue of the moment. People problems start with people. That means us. And whether you live in Portland or somewhere else around the world, whatever needs to change in your city and community Find a mirror and see if it doesn't start with you and how you perceive your own city and other cities, and most of all, how you perceive people, and start there. We thank you for joining us on this episode of Heard Tell. We are on all the major platforms now, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Intune, whatever you can think of, we're on it. If you could please share that you've enjoyed this with somebody else. If you would, leave a comment and rating when you subscribe. That would be great. That lets other people know that our little podcast is worth checking out. And we're going to keep working really hard to bring you conversations that turn down the noise on the issues of the day and get you information from knowledgeable guests. We'll keep doing it as long as you keep listening. And we thank you very, very much for it. So until we talk to you again, whether you're across the street or around the world, y'all take care of yourselves and each other. All the music on Her Tell is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.